Who's excited on a Friday morning? I'm glad you stood up for me, but come on, how many people know that the only person that deserves all glory, honor, and praise is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? His name is Jesus. Anybody in love with Jesus in the room today? Come on. Anybody been saved, set free, delivered by the power of Jesus? Uh, I got 30 minutes. Well, the clock says 36 minutes. I don't know what to believe. I see 31 minutes. I'm going to just preach, okay? Uh, I'm black. Any black folks in the room? Any black people? Let's go, okay? If you're black, just make some noise. Let's go. If you're black, there we go. I'm also half Hispanic. My dad's Cuban. Any Hispanic folks? Is one? Is there one singular Hispanic person? Any white folks? Any white folks in there? That is the most lackluster. Like, can I get some excited white people, please? Like... There we go. Golly. Any Asians? Any Asians in the room? Let's go. Come on. Did someone yell his name just now? No? Wrong one, bro. Dang, man. Golly. We're we're, we're trying to create a vibe. I'm just playing. Uh, Hey, how many people know, doesn't matter what skin color you are, there's actually one color that matters. The blood of Jesus that saves me is the same blood that saved you. It's the same thing that saved all of us. And uh, I actually love shouting white people out. White folks, make some noise again. Like, come on, white people. White people are my favorite. You guys are my favorite of all the people. I know I'm black, but white people, you guys are phenomenal. Um, I've never, I didn't know, I'm going to preach on faith today. And I I never met real faith until I met white folks. Um, (laughs) That's hilarious. Uh, because uh, I, white people just, you know, I was watching TV one time, and this dude was like, we're going to talk to the tigers. And I was like, God, please protect this white man, like, on the other side of this TV. You know what I'm saying? Like, white people. The only reason I ever bungee jumped is because I was hanging out with white people. Just, like, I was just the black dude holding a video camera, and next thing you know, I was, like, upside down. Like, just, just on an elastic. Just, like, white folks. Love white people. Um, and, yo, we, we just need, we need, we need, we need more shout-outs for white people. For real. Like, just in general. You know what I'm saying? Like, every time we shout out minorities, minorities are like, yeah, let's go. Then you shout out white people, and they're like, am I allowed to, like, am I allowed to be proud of the fact that I am white? And it's like, yes, you are, baby. Like, you better be proud of the fact that you're white. Okay. So I'm, I'm glad that we're in the room together today. Okay. Um, uh, let's go. Who's got a Bible? Who's got a Bible? My name's Manny Arango. I'm a teaching pastor at a phenomenal church in Dallas, Texas. Um, uh, you guys like Dallas? Texas. Who's from Texas? There we go. We got a couple people from Texas. Uh, And uh, I get to preach the word today, and I'm super, super excited about that. If you got a Bible, go ahead, go to Luke. We're going to go to the gospel of Luke, Uh, Luke chapter 8. We're going to go to Luke chapter 8. And if there's a word that I don't say, uh, I grew up preaching at a black church, okay? And there's no, like, ambiguity or confusion. Oh, my bad. Sorry. Oh, my bad. There's no ambiguity or confusion uh, whether or not you preach in good at a black church. Like, like sometimes I preach at, like, vanilla places, um, and then people come up to me afterwards like, brother, that was amazing. And I'm like, I couldn't tell, like, because, like, you was quiet, like, the whole time, you know. Uh, but at a black church, there's just, like, no confusion. Like, if it's bad, 
there's these things that black churches call a church mama, okay? And typically a church mama is sitting over there in that section of the room. Um, and if you're preaching bad, like, like your jokes ain't funny, like you ain't got no revelation, like you stretching the text out of context, a black church mama will just get up in the middle of your sermon and go help them, Holy Ghost. <laughs> Which is not a compliment, clearly, you know. Um, but if you had a black church and you preaching good, like like the Holy Ghost has fallen, like you heard from God that day, like like you're not you're not uh, teetering too far on grace or truth, but you're balancing grace and truth the right way. You're not stretching the text, but you're actually revealing things that were always there, but that were hidden. Ooh, a black church mama will get up in the middle of your sermon and just go, "Boy, let's go." Uh, say it again for the folks in the back. Make it plain, Pastor. Make Plain. And my favorite thing that a black church mom will say is this, uh, take your time, preacher, take your time, okay? So here we go. Um, we all going to be black for like the next 26 minutes, okay? Because uh, the more you holler at me, like the better I'm going to preach, okay? Uh, and there we go. Uh, and so we don't like, we don't say amen and like talk back when someone's preaching because their ego needs it or because they're insecure. We do that uh, because the Bible says that the power of life and death is in the power of our tongue, okay? And so uh, we're going to say amen, right? If, if I'm preaching about anxiety and you know, you know you've been struggling with panic attacks, that is not the place for the enemy to make you silent and mute and make you ashamed and for you to cower and, and go in, in, internal. But that is the place for you to say amen, not because it's true in your reality today, but because it's true in heaven. And it's true. And uh, so we're going to say amen. Let's go to Luke chapter 8. Let's do this. Uh, we got 20 Six minutes, we're going to do this thing because we're going to get out on time. I need a good amen right there. Uh, Luke chapter 8, we're going to start reading in verse 22. If there's a word that I don't say, I want you to say the word that I don't say because preaching is a participatory activity. Uh, Luke chapter 8, it says this. One day Jesus, to his disciples, let us go to the other of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. Jesus fell asleep. What happens? Jesus falls asleep, uh, and a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. Uh, give me the next verse. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to... He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was... Here we go, last verse. Where is your faith? That's a fascinating question. Where is your faith? Uh, here we go. Uh, in fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the waters, and they obey him. Uh, I'm going to preach today, uh, and I'm actually going to preach chapter 7 of my book, Brainwashed. Uh, I wrote a book two years ago. It came out last year, and the title of the book is Brainwashed, all about overcoming toxic thoughts and renewing your mind. Uh, I'll tell you exactly why I wrote this book. I wrote this book because my father was incarcerated for 18 years, came to this country as an immigrant from Cuba, got wrapped up in the wrong group of people. My dad started selling drugs, and my dad started using drugs. Uh, my father took me to a crack house for the first time when I was five years old. My mother 
uh, was pregnant at the age of uh, 12 with my older sister, had my, my older sister at 13, pregnant again at 14, had my older brother at 15. Uh, three of my aunts are prostitutes, five of my uncles are alcoholics. I've met all of my cousins through glass because they were incarcerated when I met them. I am the first Orango to graduate from college. I'm the first Orango to get my master's degree. B June 8th, 2024, I'll be the first Orango with a doctorate. I'm the first Orango to own property. I'm the first Orango to be wealthy. I'm the first Orango to be healthy. I'm the first Orango to be whole. I'm the first Orango to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the life message that is on my life is this. You can do anything that God has called you to do. It doesn't matter what family you come from, what neighborhood you come from. It does not matter who your mama is or who your daddy is. The only thing that matters is who your heavenly father is. And when I came to church at 13 years old and I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the same invitation that Jesus gave Nicodemus, he gave to me, which is you can be born again. You were born to a crackhead the first time. You were born to a teenage mama the first time, but God doesn't judge you based on your first birth. He judges you based on your second birth. And you may have been born to a broken family. You may be born in a socioeconomic situation that is not the best, but baby, I can be born again. And if I'm going to be born again, that means I have to have a new mind. Because the family that I was born into was a family with a depressing mindset, a poverty mindset victim mentality. Everybody in my family blamed everybody but themselves. They blamed everybody for why they were in the predicament they were in instead of taking responsibility over their actions and their decisions. Oh, when I came into a relationship with Jesus, he saved my life, he saved my soul, but it took a process of altar calls and therapy, hello, to renew my mind. And so today I'm going to preach chapter 7 of this book. Chapter 7 is based on Luke chapter 8. We've already read Luke chapter 8. I'm going to preach through chapter 7. Let's go. If you're excited, give me a good amen in church. Come on, let's pray. Holy Ghost, I ask that you would help me preach this like I feel it. Uh, God, I've got a sermon, but you've got a message. So God, I ask that you would speak clearly tonight, this morning, this afternoon. God, we don't want anyone leaving today saying, man, that guest speaker did a good job. We want everyone to leave saying the Holy Spirit spoke to me in a powerful way, in a unique way. God, bring clarity and bring power. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all say together, amen, amen, amen. I love this text uh, because the disciples are in the middle of a storm. And, and Jesus, he calms the storm, he rebukes the storm. But how many people know what you think is the real miracle, is typically not always a real miracle for Jesus, right? The one with the issue of blood, she gets a miraculous breakthrough from Jesus, but Jesus ain't done. He's like, who is it that touched me? Who is it that got power from me? Because the real miracle is not the fact that she got healed. The real miracle is that her mind needed to be renewed. And so Jesus had to have a conversation following the action because the real miracle was not just that her body got healed. The real miracle is that her identity needed to be healed healed and she needed to hear Jesus say daughter it's your faith that made you well the real miracle is not the thing that I'm concerned about and come on I want to preach today because the thing that you are stressed out about is not the thing that God is always concerned about sometimes you can come into a chapel or a church service and you're stressed out about all kinds of stuff and God is like oh if we could just deal with your 
attitude and you're like, no, but this loan, this student debt. And God's like, no, 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 no. That is very easy for me to tackle. The thing that is hard for me to tackle is your mindset. It's your attitude. Oh, it's the way that you think. It's the way that you process. I know you think you know what your problem is, but actually I am more aware with your real problem than you are. So Jesus calms the storm. He calms the storm pretty fast. Then turns to the disciples and asks a very pivotal question. Where is your faith? Fantastic question, Jesus. Thank you for asking. If I, and I think sometimes we exegete this passage too quickly, and we assume that what Jesus is saying is y'all don't have a lot of faith. It's like we just assume that that's what Jesus means by what he says. But let's like think about this. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is actually very, very good at telling people the measurement of their faith. To the centurion, he goes, hey, homie, you got great faith. A on the faith test. Okay, good job. To the one with the issue of blood, he's like, your faith made you well. There's actually times in the Bible where Jesus says to people, you don't have a lot of faith. My favorite is he says this to the disciples one time. It's the best backhanded compliment in the whole Bible because he tells the disciples they have just, you know, you got little faith. Like, ah, it's frustrating. You got little faith. And then he says, even faith the size of a mustard seed can move a mountain. Which is like Jesus' way of saying, like, your faith is trash, but it'll work, you know? <laughs> like, oh, gosh, your faith is annoying, but, you know, it'll do, you know, just... Give me the two fish and the five loaves. Like, we'll make it work, you know? So Jesus is good at measuring faith. Luke chapter 8 is not a passage where he's measuring faith. He says, where is your faith? This is not a passage about the measurement of faith. This is a passage about the misplacement of faith. If I said, where's your dorm? Baby, guess what that means? That means you have a... If I say, where's your car? That means you have a... If I ask you where something is, I'm acknowledging that it already exists. When Jesus says, where is your faith? It's because he wakes up on the boat and he feels the power of faith working. However, I've got to teach you a little secret. Faith is not automatically a positive thing. Faith is a neutral thing. And where I place my faith will actually determine whether or not faith is going to bring life or bring death into my earthly experience. Where is your faith? I got good news and bad news for you today. And come on, we want the good news first, right? Here we go. Let's go with the good news. You got mad faith. You got a whole lot of faith. Boo, you got so much faith. Girl, you got faith. Bruh, you got faith. That's the good news. You got a whole lot of faith. If, if we did a faith check, oh, we ain't got no problems. You got a whole lot of faith. Here we go. Here's the bad news. It's just in yourself. You got a whole lot of faith. It's just in every boyfriend you've ever dated. Which is why you keep getting disappointed thinking that a dude is going to give you identity. Asking thirsty questions like, how do I look in this? How do you think you look in it? Because until you like you, it doesn't matter how many compliments you get. It'll never be enough to satisfy the thirst that is not external but internal. The question is not do you have faith, it is where is your faith? You have a whole lot of faith, but the faith is in the degree that you're working on right now. You got a whole lot of faith. It's just in your family's last name. You got a whole lot of faith. 
This is why a lot of millennials, I'll rag on millennials. I know there's a lot of Gen Z in the room, but millennials, we got issues. Like millennials, we, we woof. Mm. And whenever I get a chance to talk to millennials, I always tell them like, this is the, the, where is your faith? Actually is the reason that a lot of us have left church. You left church because a pastor cheated on their wife. And the moment you tell me that you left a church because a pastor did something foul, I immediately go, oh, got it. Your faith was in a person holding a microphone. Let me tell you something. I'm never going to leave church. You want to know why I'm never leaving church? Because the reason that I'm in church is not because some dude with a microphone is anointed or gifted. The reason I'm in church is because Jesus Christ shed his blood for the remission of my sins and got up on the third day with all power in his hand. The reason I'm in church is because Jesus is faithful to his bride. I don't need nobody to be faithful to their bride for me to believe. If all, if all the devil needs to do is tempt your pastor to cheat on his wife and he knows that you are never going to come back to church, then you've just made a very vulnerable situation for your faith. My faith is not dependent on anything that is temporary. My faith is not built on anything that the enemy can take away or anything that is susceptible to moth and rust destroying. My faith is not built on anything on this side of the grave. My faith is not built on none of this. It's not built on a gift. It's not built on whether my wife complimented me enough. It's not built on, no, no, no. My faith is on a firm foundation. My faith is on something that's unmovable, unshakable. My faith is in who God said that I am. If God said I'm anointed, then guess what? That's where my faith is. If God said I'm called, that's where my faith is. If God said it's going to be okay, that's where my faith is. My faith is not in stuff or people or things that can be taken away. And nothing challenges or exposes where your faith is like a storm. Ooh. Actually, we can be grateful for storms. Because storms reveal where my faith is. It's funny, I got saved at a church that believed in holistic ministry. And so they didn't just bring me to an altar call and lead me to Jesus. They also taught me how to invest in real estate and how to buy real estate. Because my mom was pregnant at 12, my dad was on crack, and I was stuck in a poverty cycle. I was stuck in poverty, and so it is ridiculous to teach me about Jesus principles and not equip me to break the stronghold of poverty over my life. And so my youth pastor used to take me out and teach me how to buy real estate. Okay, So my youth pastor would all, every time it would rain, my youth pastor would hit me up like, you know what today is? And I'm like, uh, it's raining, fam. It don't mean nothing to me. He's like, oh, this is a perfect day to look at houses. We always go look at houses when it rains. Why? Because we want to see if the roof is leaking. We want to see if the basement floods. The rain actually gives us an opportunity to see whether or not the house is built on a firm foundation. You've tried to rebuke the storm. You're mad about the storm. But actually, your parents getting divorced is a great opportunity for you to figure out, are you a believer because your parents brought you to church? Or are you a believer because it's your faith? Are you a believer because of what God has done in your life or is your life built on somebody else's testimony? The storm is a fantastic opportunity for you to ask the question, where is my faith? Fantastic question. So we've got to ask the question, where was the faith of the disciples? Because I taught you already, uh, faith is not positive or negative. Faith is neutral. 
You put a hammer in the hand of a crazy person, they may swing at you. You put a hammer in the hand of somebody who wants to build you a deck, they can build you something beautiful. Faith is like a hammer. It can either destroy or it can build. So where you place your faith is going to be pivotal. Where was the faith of the disciples? I'll tell you exactly where their faith was. Give me verse, I think it's verse 24. Give me verse 24. Master, master, we're going to drown. You hear the conviction in their voice? They could have said, ah, uh, we may drown. We could drown. Context clues would suggest, King Jesus, that drowning is a serious possibility. But that's not what they said. They said, we're going to drown. They are sure and confident in not the word they got from Jesus, but the storm that threatens to take their life. Do you want to know where a lot of our faith is? Our faith is actually in the storm. I, I, this is funny because uh, we're going to drown. It, it's, it's, it's like they tell on themselves. We're about to drown. And guess what? At the end of the story, do they drown? No! Which tells me that you can't always believe how you, what you think and how you feel. Okay, here we go. Can we go, can we go deeper? I got 10 minutes. Let's do this. We ready? We, we got this? Faith and anxiety actually have a whole lot in common. Chapter 7 of my book is all about anxiety. Faith and anxiety have a whole lot in common. It's funny because for five years, me and my wife, we walked through infertility. Uh, doctor said we would never get pregnant, okay? We believed God to get pregnant for five years. Doctor said it would never happen. Doctors told me to adopt. And, but what they didn't know is that I was delulu. That's what they did not know, okay? What they did not know is that I was delusional, okay? I was a delusional individual. What they did not know is that I had gone on a 40-day fast, and in that 40-day fast, I bought a crib for my kid who was a figment of my imagination at the time. I bought diaper genies. I bought onesies. I bought clothes. I bought all types of stuff. And on a 40-day fast, I laid in that faith room for 40 days and I prayed and asked God, show me, my show me my children. And I remember right around day 23, I don't know if it was just like because I was hungry or the Holy Ghost, but God began to give me a vision for my family. So when doctors told me you would never get pregnant, I was like, yeah, what you don't understand is you're not talking to a sane person. <laughs> what you don't understand is I've already seen the future. What you don't understand is that faith requires creativity and imagination. And when you tap into your creativity and your imagination, you build a time machine and you go into the future and you see what faith has to show you. And then you come back into the present. And now when somebody says you need to adopt, you, these are your options. You look at them and you go, my faith is not in you, Mr. Doctor. My faith ain't in your little degree. My faith is not in the procedure that you're offering us. My faith is in Jehovah Rapha, the God who knows how to heal me. My faith is in the one who knit me together in my mother's womb. That's where my faith is in. Now, here we go. If you are anxious, I got good news and bad news. Let me give you the good news first. If you struggle with anxiety, and, and for real, like Planet Fitness Zone today, like no judgment, Planet Fitness vibes, who struggles with anxiety? And my hand's the first one to go up. Can I give you some good news? Anxiety is proof that you are creative and that your imagination works. You can't even be anxious without your imagination. You think that you've met a creative person when you've met like a videographer or like, I don't know, a photographer 
or like a graphic designer. Nah! You ain't met a creative person until you met an anxious person. An anxious person has created scenarios for tomorrow, the next day, next week, next month, next year. Anxious people are just creating all kinds of scenarios, which means, guess what anxiety is? It's tapping into the power of your imagination and your creativity to create a time machine. And you have gone into your anxious future and you are pulling doom and disaster and destruction and bringing it back into today and trying to convince all of us that your anxiety is telling you the truth. The person with anxiety is just as delulu as the person with faith. Both people have used their imagination and their creativity. They've gone into the future and they have chosen to get a glimpse and believe in something that is a product of their imagination in their future. And if you can be anxious, then you can have faith. If you can be anxious, then if you can go into the future and see doom and disaster and destruction, if you can go into the future and see worry, if you can go into the future and be afraid, then you can just as easily go into the future and see that God is going to work it out for you and see that it's all going to work together for your good because you've been called by God. If you can use your imagination and your creativity, then how about you stop abusing your imagination and start actually using your imagination for its intended purpose? God gave you that imagination. And I want to switch from preaching to prophesying over your life. Your mind belongs to God. Your mind doesn't belong to pornography. Your mind doesn't belong to lust. Your mind doesn't belong to fear. Your mind doesn't belong to doubt. Your mind doesn't belong to victim mentality. Your mind doesn't belong to depression. Your mind doesn't belong to anxiety. Your mind belongs to God. And we're going to take back your mind. We're going to take back some territory today. We declare over your life today that your mind belongs to God. That your mind, that this thing in between your ears is the most powerful tool you have as a man thinketh so he will be you can think your way into freedom and think your way into wealth and think your way into power and think your way into the life that God wants for you 95% of people who hit the, hit the jackpot who play the lottery and get millions of dollars 95% of them go broke in under 5 years why? because they never had a money problem they had a mind problem. The problem was never the number in their bank account. The problem was their inability to tell their flesh no and their ability to have discipline and vision. You have a mind problem and you can be saved. You can listen to all the music. You can have, oh, you can go to every Maverick concert. You can have the best playlist. You can come to chapel and God never actually renew your mind. Maybe. Just maybe you're in the season you're in right now so that God can reshape how you think so that you won't be brainwashed by culture or brainwashed by your family of origin, but brainwashed by the blood of the lamb and the water of the word. Here we go. Let's wrap this up. So where was their faith? Their faith is in the storm. It's funny because can I be a little nerdy real quick? Okay, I was like half of y'all. Can I be nerdy? I'm working on my doctor right now, so, you know, every now and again, I like to sprinkle some nerd in there. Um, and the, somebody can come play keys, because everything sounds more spiritual when you play keys. <laughs> a sermon just goes to the whole next level. It's like, is that the Holy Ghost? No, nah, it was just, it was the keys, you know what I'm saying? It was the keys. 
Appreciate you. Appreciate you. Come on, air five. One, two, three. Boom. There we go. (laughs) Satan has wanted the same thing for all of eternity. He's lusted after the same thing. He only has one desire. It's worship. It's what gets him kicked out of heaven, right? He wants to receive glory instead of reflect glory. It's what he says with Jesus, like in the wilderness. If you would just what? Bow down and worship me. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Like the enemy is only ever wanted worship. And the enemy knows if he rolls up to your dorm with like pitchfork and horns, like, yo, worship me. Most of y'all would be like, nah, homie, I'm good. <laughs> In faith, I'll just say all of y'all. <laughs> so, so he knows like, that that's not a good way to get worship. In the Old Testament, there's a God that, a lowercase g God, an idol that Israel's always drawn to worship. It's, the idol's name is Baal, Baal, B-A-A-L. You want to know what Baal is? He's a Canaanite storm god, which means when the enemy wants to get worship from you, he doesn't show up with a pitchfork and horns. Oh, no. He wraps himself up in the winds and the waves of life. He wraps himself up in a storm. And so now you have spent more energy talking about the storm than you've spent energy talking about the God that's stronger than the storm. The storm has gotten all your attention. It's gotten all your time. The whole time we were going through infertility, I remember saying to my wife, I will never be impressed with what the enemy is doing. Not impressed. Not impressed. I don't care how bad it gets. I'll never be impressed because he's not going to get my faith. He's not going to get my attention. He's not going to get my worship. I'll tell you where their faith should have been. Throw up Luke chapter 8, verse 22 for me. One day, Jesus. One day, Jesus. What did he do? One day, Jesus. The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if Jesus is talking, that means that's where my faith needs to be. What does Jesus say? Hey, let's go to the other of the, they get into a boat. They get into the boat to go what? To the other side of the lake. Halfway on the journey, they hit a storm. You want to know what I want to encourage you to do when you hit storms in your life? There's only one relevant question for the storm. Hey, storm, are you the other side of the lake? Because God is not a man that he would lie. Or the son of man that he would change his mind. In the same way that the rain and the snow leave from heaven and do not return to it without water in the earth, making it bud and flourish so that it gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall your word be. It will not return to you void. If you said we're going to get to the other side of the lake, then guess what? This storm cannot stop me. My faith is not in what the enemy is doing to attack me. My faith is in the word that you spoke over my life and I'm going to put one foot in front of the other and I'm going to make it to the other side of the lake. My faith is not in the storm that I can see. My faith is in the word that he spoke over my life. I got 43 seconds. Let's do this. It's my closing story. My first two years of college, I was a ratchet mess. I started preaching at 13 years old. Went to Gordon College, small Christian college in middle of nowhere, Massachusetts. 
I was a biblical and theological studies major, but switched my major three times because I was running from God. Dating a girl who I shouldn't have been dating, hanging out with people I shouldn't have been hanging out with. Just my life was a mess. But my mama was a black church mama. Made the mistake of going home for a weekend because I needed my laundry. <laughs> needed my laundry done. And my mom just looked at me and was like, you look like sin. I was like, well, thank you. <laughs> and you know what we say when, 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 we're, when, we're, when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit, when somebody tells us there's sin in our life? Here's what we say. I'm offended. Offended is just code word for, oh, got it. You convicted. Okay, cool. <laughs> but because our generation is so sensitive, instead of saying I'm convicted by the Holy Ghost, the only thing you know how to say is I'm offended. My mom looks at me and says, you look like sin. I was like, dang. But I knew she was right. I was in her living room. She said, stay here. She went into her bedroom. She grabbed her journal. She said, you want to know why the storm you're going through don't phase me? You want to know why this prodigal season that you're in doesn't scare me? It's because this journal that I have anchors my faith said when I was three months pregnant with you and she opened it up to the moment where God spoke to her when she was three months pregnant with me said when I was three months pregnant with you God told me that you were called to the ministry when I was four months pregnant with you God told me that you were going to be a mouthpiece to the nations when I was six months pregnant with you God said that if I gave him to you gave him to God that God would give him to the world and when, when I was nine months pregnant with you God gave me a promise oh the reason that your prodigal season is not shaking me is because my faith is not in your ability to act right. My faith is in the fact that God already spoke your future into existence. Oh, I began to repent. Why? Because we don't guilt trip people into changing. We remind them of their identity, and that's when people begin to change. You begin to transform when the God of the universe looks at you and says, I know you better than you know yourself. I know you think you know you, but you don't know a thing about you. I know you because I need you together in your mother's womb and I've got a purpose on your life there's destiny on your life I know you're in a relationship with some dude that you've been trying to break up with for two semesters and I know that your identity is wrapped up in his approval of you but today is the last day that you walk around needing some dude to approve of you or send you a good morning text do you know who you are you are a daughter of the most high God you are a son of the king you ain't desperate you ain't thirsty your faith is in a God that has spoken over your life. I need a good amen in church. I need somebody to praise him. If you know you get into the other side of the lake, this storm ain't going to take me out. This storm is not going to kill me. I'm getting to my intended destination. God already prophesied how this thing is going to end. It is going to work in my favor. If you've been struggling with anxiety, I want to pray for you. Why don't you just wave at me? I've been struggling with anxiety. You know what? Let's just stand up all over the room. You can stand up. Anybody heard from the Holy Ghost today? Come on, wave at me if the Holy Ghost is talking to you today. Maybe you've been ashamed of your anxiety or maybe you've just accepted it like it's normal. But can I actually tell you, you don't need to be ashamed or accept it. You need to harness the power of your mind. Because it's the proof that you're creative. It's the proof that you got an imagination. You can't even be anxious without an imagination. We don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You, you, you need the creativity and imagination. 
You just need to refocus it. If that's you, wave at me. I want to pray for you. God, I thank you for every young person, every student. Oh, man, we, we just want to change your confession right now. You're done saying, I'm anxious. You're creative. You got an overactive imagination. We're going to make a good confession. If you're in the room today and there's a storm that you're going through, wave at me. I want to pray for you. The storm that you're struggling with. And be honest, the storm has stolen so much of your focus. You've been so focused on the storm. Just wave at me if I'm talking to you. Come on, your faith is getting back where it belongs. Your issue is not the measurement of your faith. The issue is the misplacement of your faith. Come on, I just feel like we need to sing. Come on, waves came, wind blew. Come on, I know there's a storm. If you want prayer, can you just make your way down here? I'd love to lay my hands on you, pray for you. We don't believe in magic, but we believe in the power of the Holy Ghost. Come on, we declare right now. There may be a storm, but your God is stronger than the storm. Your faith is not in the storm. You're not impressed with what the enemy's doing. Anxiety doesn't make you crazy. It just makes you human. Come on, your mind belongs to God. You're going to make it through. Come on, we declare that over your life. Storms are just a natural part of life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Come on, we remind you, you're going to make it through. You're going to make it through. This is just a season. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's lift up our hands all over the room. Come on, can we lift up our hands? Can we create an atmosphere and remind the enemy where our faith is? Remind the enemy my faith is not in what you've done to try to steal, kill, and destroy my life. Come on, praise is your weapon. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hey. Come on, let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that your spirit met us in the room today. God, we thank you that you're good, that you're faithful. Anxiety lies to us. You never lie. You never lie. Anxiety tells us stuff that's just not true. 
But God, you're not a man that you would lie or the son of man that changed your mind. God, we ask that you would make the word of God not just make sense in the room, but God, let it resonate as we leave. We declare a 30, 60, and 100 fold increase in our life. The word fell on good soil today, and it's going to produce a harvest. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Hey, North Central, I love you guys. Who heard from the Holy Ghost today? Was today okay? Hey, I preached chapter seven of my book. If you want to grab a book, they're in the lobby. I'm going to go out to the lobby and hug people and high five people and sign books. If you want to grab a book, I'd love to meet you. If you got to run to class, go ahead and do that. But uh, I'm an extrovert. So if you want all this extrovert energy, you can hang out with me in the lobby. Love you guys.